You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. Nice. Well, we're in the final week of this series, Should Happens, and um, it's been a fun series for me to preach. Have y'all had fun in it? I hope so. I hope so. And uh, some of y'all are like, wait, what happened? He said, got, dang it, just so you know if you're like, what did he say? <laughs> but, but this has been a fun series for me to preach, and um, it, it's also been pretty challenging, though, because this is, this is real stuff. I mean, we, we should all over the place, especially this time of year. But, but hopefully I've given you some, some practical applications, some tools that you can use to, to overcome the should in your lives. And, and, and we started this series at this time of year because the truth is should happens, but, but it doesn't have to. And uh, just in case you're here for the first time or maybe you missed the past couple weeks, let me, let me catch us up so we're all on the same page. Uh, and, and by the way, if you've missed any of the sermons in this series, you can go back and listen to them on our podcast, on iTunes, uh, and also on our website, we'retherising.com. So if you go back, you can listen to any of the sermons that you missed. And just so you know, fun fact, there are over four years of sermons up there. So every sermon that's been preached here is up there. And so if you want to go back and binge listen to some sermons, you can do that. Uh, I've actually heard of some people who have done it. Like people have come up to me and they said, I went back and I listened to like four years of sermons. It was great. And I was like, thanks. I wouldn't do that, but I'm glad you did. Um, but if you're, if you're up for the challenge and you want to do that, I uh, highly recommend it. Um, and a series that I really love that we did is called Lion Chasers. And so maybe you want to start there. Uh, or you could start at the very beginning. It's up to you. But, but here's where we've been. We started this series in the beginning of the year. Um, because it's at this time of year that we should on ourselves. That, that, that was the title for the first sermon, I Should on Myself. Because it's at the beginning of the year that we come up with all these resolutions. I should be better. I should be a better husband. I should be a better father. I should be uh, leaner. I should be richer. I should drive something better. I should live in a better house. I should be more organized. And what happens is we come up with all these resolutions only to be disappointed in February when we give up and quit. And so what we said is that instead of shooting on ourselves, putting all these expectations on ourselves, we need to quit the race stop the chase, and rest in grace. And we found that through Jesus, we can live in the rhythms of grace. And so this is the first week um, I should on myself. The second week was titled, uh, I should on others. And uh, this is all the ways that we put expectations on other people. Uh, we, we talked about how we have job descriptions for people. And you should act this way. You should do this. But when people don't act as we think they should, we end up getting disappointed. And so what we said is instead of shooting on others, we need to love people and show them grace. And when we do that, that will motivate them and inspire them to do what they should. And then last week, I taught from this title that I let others should on me. And we talked about how oftentimes we live our lives on empty. We're just barely going. And the reason is because we become obsessed with other people's yes. And so we load up our plates and we say yes, 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 yes to all these things. And we end up just, just draining ourselves, depleting ourselves to where we just quit. We give up and we, and we just fizzle out. 
And so what we said last week was that when I'm obsessed with your yes, my life becomes a mess. But when I'm obsessed with God's yes, my life becomes blessed. And so we talked about caring for ourselves, and we said that self-care isn't selfish, but we need to set boundaries and learn to say that magic word. It's two letters, and it goes like this. No. Right? And so that's where we were. But today, I want to teach from this title, I Should on God. And I want to talk about all the ways that we end up shooting on God. Because you and I do it. And this is the reason why you have a coworker who makes jokes about God. This is the reason why uh, some of your family, they used to go to church, but they don't go to church anymore. They used to believe in God, but they don't believe in God anymore. They, they've walked away from him. Th this is the reason why uh, the person uh, that, that you sit next to in class claims that they're an atheist. Th this is the reason why, why maybe many of you have been disappointed with God. And, and maybe for, for some of you, your story is that you used to believe in God, but you gave up on him. And you were disappointed for weeks, months, years, even decades. And the reason for this disappointment with God is because we should on him. And, and, and here's what it looks like. Maybe this happened to you. Maybe it happened to a friend uh, of yours. Um, your friend had, had this mom who was super religious. I mean, she was so close to God. She was at church every Sunday. She was at church uh, at their Bible study groups on Wednesday nights. She was part of the ladies' luncheon. She was, uh, like, she read her Bible, like, all the time. Every time you saw her, she had a Bible. She was praying all the time. She was talking about God all the time. When you went over to your friend's house, you saw the sayings on their walls, like, a family that prays together stays together. Or as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you're like, man, this is like, this is like the, the closest person to Jesus that I've ever met. And then one day, your friend's mom wasn't feeling so good. So she went to the doctor to find out what was up. And she thought it was a cold, but found out that it was cancer. And then word got out. And everybody was praying for mom. I mean, everybody in the church was praying for mom. I mean, there were, there were prayer chains on Facebook. People were sending prayer hand emojis. Um, there were prayer nights for, for your friend's mom. People were fasting. People all over the world were praying for mom. I mean, you even prayed for, for, for your friend's mom. You, you got that on your hands and knees and prayed for her. I mean, if anybody was going to be healed, it was her. She was so close to God. And everybody, everybody was praying but 11 months after the diagnosis, she was gone. Just like that. Not even, not even a year went by, and she was dead. And then, and then we looked at God. God, what happened? Where were you? You should have healed her. If you were going to heal anybody, you should have healed her. I mean, everybody was praying. The whole world was praying. We sent the Facebook prayer emojis. Hit, like, everybody was praying. But she's gone. You should have healed her, God. Where were you? Why didn't you show up? And what happens is we end up getting disappointed because God didn't do what we think he should have. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it's a job, right? And so you're looking for a job. And you've said, God, I'm going to do everything I can to find a job. I'm going to pray like it depends on you, but I'm going to work like it depends on me. And, man, you've done a lot of work. Like, you put your resume together, you freshened it up, you even put colors on your resume, put some snazzy little graphics on it, you sent it out to all kinds of employers, you filled out applications online, you've had interview after interview after, you've had interviews for days, you even got to the final stages of some of the interviews, but you still don't have a job. 
And you're left like, God, what's up? What gives? What gives? Because I've done what I was supposed to do. I should have a job by now. God, you should have given me a job. You should have come through. I'm serving you. I'm faithful. I'm doing everything I can to get a job, but you haven't given me one. What's up? And you get disappointed with God because you should on him. Or maybe, maybe you say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm going to pursue my faith and be serious about this. Like, I'm not compromising at all. God, in your word, it says to flee from sexual immorality. You said there should be no hint of sexual immorality. In 1 Timothy 5, 2, it says treat young women as sisters with absolute purity. And so, God, I'm setting boundaries. I'm having standards. When I get with somebody, we're not moving in together because I'm not compromising on my faith. God, it's me and you. I'm following your standards. But I'm 23 and single. 28, and I still haven't found anybody. I'm 35, 40 years old, and I'm still single. God, what gives? Because I'm doing it right. I'm doing what you say. You should have brought somebody to me by now. I'm holding up my end of the bargain, but you're not coming through. What gives, God? And, And what happens when we shit on God is we create this secret covenant contract with God. Like, God, I'm, I'm going to do this. If I do these things, then you have to do these things. If I hold up my end, you hold up your end, and you should do what I want you to do, or at least what I think you should do. And when God doesn't do what we think he should, we get disappointed. We begin to doubt. I wonder if there really is a God. Because I did and he didn't. God didn't act like he should. Can can I just let you in on a little secret, just in case you didn't know this? Since the beginning of time, God has never acted as he should. And he's not about to start now. Since the very beginning of time, God has not acted as he should. And here's here's why. Here's here's why. This is the second part of that. Um, Since the beginning of time, God has never acted as he should because he's God And he knows what's best, better than we do. God knows what's best, better than we do. And I can't explain to you why God does what he does, which is actually a good thing. Like, it's a good thing that I can't explain to you everything that God does. Because if I could explain to you why God does what he does and why he acts like he does, then it would mean that either, A, I made this God up because I can understand him, Or B, God isn't as powerful as we think he is because we can understand him. Like, it's actually a great thing that God doesn't act as he should. It's a great thing that we can't explain everything about God. And here's, here's how God explains it to us in his word, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I saw saw a great reminder the other day on Facebook about this. Uh, Somebody posted, uh, they said, good morning. God, you know more than me. Help me today. Isn't that great? God, you know more than me. Help me today. The reason why... God doesn't act as he should is because he knows more than we do. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. 
And sometimes it just takes a little bit of a shift in perspective for us to see things differently. I mean, that's what perspective is. It's seeing things a different way. And what I want to do today is I want to help you when it comes to the testing of your faith. Because there are going to be times in your life where your faith is going to be tested. And if, and if you don't have the proper perspective when the test comes, you run the risk of walking away from your faith because God doesn't act as you think he should. And so I want to help us see things with the proper perspective so that when our faith is tested, we don't should on God, but we trust in God. Because even though things might not be how I think they should be, I'm going to trust in God because I know he knows something I don't. And so to help us today as we, as we look, look at, at how, how we prevent uh, ourselves from shooting on God, I could, I could look at a bunch of different people within the scriptures to, to, to draw from things that happened in their life. Like, like we could take a moment to, to look at John the Baptist. Now, John is called John the Baptist because he baptized people, not because he was Baptist. Like, there wasn't John the Baptist and then Frank the Methodist and then Joe the Episcopalian. It was, it, he baptized people. That's why he's called John the Baptist. Probably more accurately, he's, he's called John the Baptizer. But John was Jesus' cousin. And so he was family with Jesus. They were close. And it was John's whole mission in life to prepare the way for Jesus. Like he came to let people know that Jesus, the Son of God, has come. And there's this time in John's life where he actually dissolves his own ministry and he tells people, don't follow me, follow Jesus. And do you know what John got for all of his faithfulness? Do you know what happened to John as he followed God so closely? He ended up being put in jail and beheaded. I mean, just, just imagine, you're John. God, I've been so faithful to you. I've dissolved my ministry and told people to follow your son. I've been faithful to you, but here I am in a jail cell. This is not how things should be. If anybody could have shit on God, it was John. And there was a point where he, he wasn't sure. He even sent some people to ask Jesus, Jesus, is this, is this, is this real? Is this right? And Jesus reminded him, to focus on the evidence that was happening all around him. Yeah, John, this is right. I, I know things aren't going as you think they should, but stay faithful. Hang in there. This is right. And then John gets his head cut off. Talking about a raw deal. We could, we could look at, at the life of uh, the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul was this guy who, 2,000 years ago, before he became a Christian, he actually made it his mission in life to kill Christians. Like, he hated Christians, and he wanted to stamp out the church. But then Paul met the resurrected Jesus and became a Christian. And, and that, by the way, is some of the best evidence for Jesus. Here's this person who was an enemy of God, and he becomes a friend of God. Here was somebody who hated Christians, and he becomes a Christian. And so, and so this is what happens with Paul. He becomes a Christian and he devotes his life to starting churches all over the known world. He's serving God faithfully. But he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, this church that he helped start. And um, he explains to them some of the things that have happened in his life once he became a Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says to them, I I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. 
Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Brother, you're in danger everywhere you go. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Listen, if you'd have told me when I started following Jesus things would have been this way, I would have said, no way, never. But this is exactly what happened to Paul. Things went the way they shouldn't have. Because, I mean, he's following Jesus, right? He's close to God. He's doing the Lord's work. But things just don't go the way he he had planned. But what we find in Paul's life is that he doesn't shoot on God. See, what happens is sometimes we go through things that we don't think should be happening to us, and we turn to God, and we say, God, what gives? Paul doesn't shoot on God. He doesn't say, what's what's wrong? What's happening? Where, Where have you gone? Why have you abandoned me? No, it's just he's following God, and this is just what happens. By the way, I think it's helpful to to gain this perspective because um, you and I have shit on God for far less, right? I mean, we get a flat tire and we break down. God, what's going on? Why did you let this happen? Isn't it great that we don't live 2,000 years ago being persecuted for our faith, being thrown to the lions? Thank God for that. And listen, I don't want to minimize the difficulties that you have in your life. But you hadn't been thrown to the lions. <laughs> you, you hadn't been shipwrecked. You, you hadn't had people trying to beat you because of your faith in Jesus. And so Paul, though, he goes through this difficulty, but he never shoulds on God. He never looks at God and says, why, 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 why? And see, when he, when, when he refuses to shoot on God, he has a proper perspective, and he's able to do great and amazing things. Paul went on to write a third of the New Testament. Paul went on to lead churches all over the Roman world. Paul, it's because of Paul that we understand so much of our Christian faith because he stayed faithful even when things didn't go as they should. But I don't want to look at John today. I don't want to look at Paul today. Instead, I want to point you to a guy named Joseph. Uh, Joseph, um, his his story is found in Genesis uh, chapter 37 through 45. If you hadn't read Joseph's story, I highly recommend it. But um, his story is in Genesis 37 through 45. And, uh, and the book of Genesis is actually the first book in the Bible. And it, and it tells us about creation and how humanity came to be. But a lot of the book of Genesis tells the story of, of uh, some of the early founders of the Jewish faith, which eventually gave birth to, to Christianity. And so in the book of Genesis, we read the story of Abraham. And Abraham had this son named Isaac, and Isaac had this son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and the youngest at the time was Joseph. And so I want to I look at Joseph's life, but, but, but what happens is, is Jacob has these uh, 12 sons, and uh, nobody told Jacob he wasn't supposed to do this, um, so he did this, and he, he made it very apparent that he was doing this. He made Joseph his favorite son. 
And, and if you're a parent, I mean, you get this a little bit. Like, you got some favorites when it comes to your kids. I mean, you don't tell them, but you got some favorites, right? Like, my daughter, Amaya, we have two kids, my, my wife and I, we have a son and a daughter. My daughter, Amaya, she's my favorite daughter. Like, hands down, favorite daughter in the world. My son, favorite son in the world. Like, so, so I got favorites, you got favorites. But, but Joseph had multiple sons. I mean, Jacob had multiple sons, and Joseph was his favorite. And it was, it was so apparent. Like, one day, Joseph uh, received this gift from his dad, Jacob, and he gave him this multicolored coat. And I don't have a multicolored coat, but I got this fresh one from H&M. <laughs> and I figured this could represent that. So he gave his son, Joseph, a coat. Did I put it on right? Is it good? Yeah. All right, good. Um, just want to make sure the collar wasn't popped. Um, but he gave him this multicolored coat just to say, hey, I, I love you a lot. Like, like in our day and age, the equivalent would be like he gave all of his sons crappy Android phones, but he gave uh, his son Joseph the iPhone X. And so, so he's like, hey, I love you more than, than everybody else. And so that's a problem, um, especially when his brothers see that. And so it's like Jacob is rubbing his affection for his son Joseph in the faces of the rest of his sons. And so uh, Joseph's brothers don't like him because of this. But to make matters worse, Joseph um, wasn't very socially aware. And so what happened was God gave him a a dream of what was going to happen, how he was going to rise to greatness. And uh, Joseph went and he told his brothers about this dream. And in the dream, what he said was, "I I had this dream where I had a sheaf of grain, this, this bundle of grain, and all of you had your own grain as well. And in the dream, what happened was your grain bowed down to my grain. And I guess what that means is that one day you're going to bow down to me. And it's like, Joseph, I love your ambition, and I love that you have a dream and a vision, but you will need to share that with your brothers, and this is what he does. He shares it with his brothers. And then there's a time he has another dream, and he goes to his mom and his dad and his brothers, and he tells them. He says, okay, I, I had this dream, and there was the sun and the moon, and mom, dad, you guys are the sun and the moon. And then there were these 11 stars, and all of y'all, the sun, the moon, and the stars, bowed down to me. And so I guess there's going to be a day where you guys bow down to me. You guys want to practice now? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, like, he's so, it's like, no, Joseph, don't share that. And it's true, he got a dream. That he was going to rise to greatness. But the way that he presented it just just wasn't the best. And so what happened was his brothers ended up hating him even more. And they plot to kill him. Here's here's how it's recorded for us in Genesis 37, 17. It says, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. By the way, God gave him these dreams. This is God saying, this is what's going to happen in your life. I have a plan for you. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. We're going to bow down to you, none of you're dead, sucker. So they say, let's kill him. But then one of Joseph's brothers, Judah, said to the rest of the brothers, Well, what will we gain? If we kill our brother and cover up his blood. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. 
if we kill them, and that'd be pretty satisfying, but if we killed them, we wouldn't have anything. So instead of killing our brother, I mean, he is our brother. We probably shouldn't do that. Let's just sell him into slavery. Then we'll have some money. Then we can do something with it. So let's not kill our brother. He's our brother. Let's sell him into slavery. And his brothers agreed. Okay, that sounds good. And so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers for $228. $228 sold into slavery. But Joseph had a dream, and now he's a slave. This right here is some family should. Because families should stick together. Families should help one another out. Family should, should bond and be there. Families should have one another's backs. But you sold me into slavery. Let, let me ask you, has your family ever treated you like, like they shouldn't? Has your family ever mistreated you? Has your family ever hurt you? See, it's in these moments when, when family doesn't act as they should that we have the tendency to should on God. God, why are you letting this happen? God, why did I have to be born into this family? God, why did you allow this? God, why aren't you doing something? You should do something. But Joseph doesn't should on God. Instead, he just goes, goes along. I mean, he has no choice. So, but, but, but he goes along and, and, he, and he's sold into Potiphar's house. So he's, he's a servant in this guy named Potiphar. He, he, he's a servant in his house, and, and he, he's a servant there for about 13 years. And after 13 years, um, by the way, Joseph is sold into slavery at the age of 17. At the age of 30, Potiphar makes him the head of his household. And so he says, all right, Joseph, you, you've proven yourself. I'm going to make you the head of my house. You're in charge of everything. Uh, and here's, here's what happens when Joseph becomes the head in Potiphar's house. One day, he went into the house. Oh, wait, let me, let me go back to uh, Genesis 39, verse 6. It said, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Hey, Lay, leave me alone. Stop messing with me. I don't want to sleep with you. And what happens is Potiphar's wife, Miss Potiphar, comes up and she's like, come on, come to bed with me. And day after day after day, her advances get more aggressive. And I don't know if Joseph ever goes to Potiphar and it's like, hey, Potiphar, I don't know what you're doing, but it's not your wife and she needs some attention. Can you help her out? But she keeps coming on to him and she keeps rejecting. Uh, he keeps rejecting, saying, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. 
And then eventually she's fed up. She has to have her some Joseph. And here's what takes place in Genesis 39, 11. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. By the way, this is a great boundary for you to set up in your life. If you're married, men, you should not be alone with somebody of the opposite sex. Ladies, if you're married, you should not be alone with somebody of the opposite sex. Not saying y'all gonna have babies all of a sudden, but it's just a good boundary to have because you never know what's gonna happen. You never know the accusation that could come. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. Potiphar's wife, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Potiphar's wife came up to him. Here, I'm going to um, demonstrate this for you. Irene, could you come up here real quick? Irene's my wife. Y'all give it up for uh, my lovely, my lovely lady. And uh, here, I'm going to have you stand right here. And uh, you're going to play Potiphar's wife, and I'm going to play Joseph, okay? So it says, uh, when, when uh, she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me? <laughs> well, all right, come on, let's go. No, 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 that's not, that's, that's, that's for later, that's for later. But, okay, here it is, here it is. Let's try it again. This is what happened. She, 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 caught, she caught him by the cloak and said, oh, I wish you would. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Here's what happened. Thank you. You can take that with you as a souvenir. <laughs> she caught him by the cloak. He said, oh, no. I got to go. Leaves the cloak in her hand and runs out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. Ah, don't do that, Joseph. She didn't really scream with all her might because she, anyway. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And then she goes on to tell this to her husband, Potiphar. He came to sleep with me, but I screamed. I didn't want it, I promise. And what happens is Potiphar ends up uh, having Joseph put in prison. This is some heavy-duty boss should right here. Because his boss believed a lie. Joseph was trying to do the right thing, but he got punished for it. Let, let me ask you, has, has your boss ever treated you like they shouldn't? I mean I, I mean, I was just trying to do the right thing. I was trying to come clean, and I'm the one that got released. I, I, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to make this company great, and 
you aren't acting like you should and you keep coming down on me. Has your boss ever shit on you? See, when that happens, well, I didn't get the promotion. I got passed over for Joe, and Joe, he, he's a moron. I mean, but the boss should have. When that happens, we start to shit on God. God, why are you letting this happen? God, how come, how come I'm not advancing like I should? How come I work for such a moron? How come I work for such an idiot? God, you should. I'm following you. I'm trying to. When our boss shits on us, it's easy for us to shit on God. But Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph refuses to shit on God. He ends up in prison. And now he's in, he's in prison um, for uh, it, it, anywhere between 10 and, and 2 years. And so here's, here's the, the next way that we shit on God. And, and this is situational should. When the situation doesn't go as we think it should, it's easy for us to shit on God. Because Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He was in slavery for 13 years. At the age of 30, he became the head of Potiphar's house. And then he was put in prison. And he very well could have been in prison, the, the, the timeline isn't very clear, for anywhere from 10 to 12 years, as little as two years. Um, and so what that means is that Joseph would have been in bondage longer than he would have been um, in freedom when he was alive. Like he was free for 17 years, but he was in bondage as a slave and in prison for longer than that. And he could have in this moment shit on God because of the situation that he found himself in. God, I've been trying to be faithful to you, but my life is a mess. You should do something. You should show up. You should save me from this. I wonder, have you ever shit on God because of the situation you found yourself in? And it wasn't your fault, it just happened. This is where Joseph is. But Joseph refuses to shit on God in this moment. And then he meets some friends in, in prison. There's, there's a baker and a cupbearer. Uh, and, and the baker and the cupbearer used to work for Pharaoh. And uh, they have a dream. And Joseph interprets their dream. And uh, he says to the baker, it's not going to turn out well for you. Like in three days, you're going to be released from prison, but you're going to be impaled. Uh, your body's going to be run through on a pole. Uh, and then for you, cupbearer, you're going to get out in three days, and you're going to be restored to your position as the cupbearer for Pharaoh again. And just when you get out, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Tell Pharaoh about him. Tell Pharaoh how I'm unjustly in prison, and then maybe he'll save me. So remember me and say something. But what happens is uh, recorded in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And so the cupbearer gets out. He forgets about Joseph. And Joseph spends two more years in prison because of friendship. He should have remembered me. We were friends, but he forgot about me. Let me ask you, has a friend ever acted as they shouldn't towards you? Has a friend ever hurt you? Have they ever ignored you? Have they ever assumed the worst about you? Have they ever ghosted on you? Have they ever stabbed you in the back? And maybe you say, stab me in the back? No way. I've had friends stab me in the front. And not only did they stab me in the front, but they kept stabbing me over and over and over again. Have you ever had a friend act like they shouldn't? When that happens, it's easy for us to turn to God and say, God, what gives? Because you should do something about this. You should have prevented this. This hurts and I don't like it. God, where are you? It's easy when, when our friends don't act as they should for us to begin to shit on God and get disappointed. But Joseph refuses to shit on God in this moment. So he goes through all kinds of different should. Family should, 
friends should, situational should, boss should, but he refuses to should on God when others don't act as they should. And I wonder where you are in this. Because I don't know about you, but, but I've should on God for a lot less. But, but Joseph, he, he, he decides to stay strong and he, he doesn't should on God. And here's why, th- th- this is why I believe that, that Joseph refuses to should on God because Joseph decided to trust in what God could do as opposed to being preoccupied with what he should do. Joseph decided to focus on what God could do as opposed to being preoccupied with what he should do. Well, I know things aren't going right. I know things aren't going well for me, but I know what God could do. And so I'm not going to stand here and tell God what he should do. Because I understand that God knows some things that I don't. Here, I'll, uh, I'll say it this way. Joseph focused on the could and not the should because he knew the dream. Did you hear what I just said? Joseph focused on the could and not the should because he knew the dream. When, when he was in the pit, he was focused on, but I had a dream. When he was a slave with Potiphar, he didn't shit on God because he was focused, but I had a dream. God told me this. When he was in prison, he didn't shit on God because he was focused on the dream. I had a dream. I know what God could do. And I'm trusting and believing God that he's going to take me where he showed me. And so I may not understand this. This may not make sense right now. But I'm going to focus on what God could do and not on what he should do because I believe he's taking me somewhere. And I had a dream, and I'm headed toward the dream. And here's what ends up happening with Joseph. A couple years after the cupbearer's release, Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret the dream for him. And then the cupbearer remembers Joseph. He says, wait, there was this guy that I met in prison. He told me about a dream, and it came true. Maybe he can help you. And so Pharaoh summons for Joseph to come out of prison. And Joseph comes to the palace. And he tells Pharaoh, here's what your dream means. There's going to be seven years of prosperity in Egypt. But then there's going to be seven years of famine. Here's what I recommend we do. Let's store up and set aside for the seven years where it's good. So when the famine hits, we'll have some food. Pharaoh says, I like it. You're hired. And he hires Joseph to be the second in command of all of Egypt. And there's a day when Joseph's brothers come to him begging for food and they bow before him. The same with his parents. And it was in this moment that Joseph realized the fruition of the dream that he had been given so long ago. See, there was an inception of a dream years and years before but it didn't happen the week after. Sometimes we shit on God because the dream he gave us doesn't happen tomorrow. Sometimes we shit on God because we go through some stuff that we don't think we should have to go through to get to the destination he's called us to. But Joseph had the inception of the dream, but he ended up in the pit. And I imagine Joseph said, I'm not gonna shit on God because I'm living the dream. This is part of the dream. I might have chosen a different path, 
but this is the path I'm on, and the pit is part of the path, and so I'm not going to complain about it, and I'm not going to shit on God because I'm living the dream. And then he goes into Potiphar's house as a slave, and he doesn't shit on God because he said, I'm just part of the path. I'm on the path towards the dream that God has given me. And apparently, Potiphar's house is part of the dream. And so I'm not going to shit on God because I'm living the dream. It's part of the dream. And then he goes to prison. He doesn't shit on God because he had a dream. And I'm just on the path that's taking me to the dream. And apparently the prison is part of the path. I'm living the dream. Part of the dream. And eventually Joseph goes to the palace. Joseph, Joseph has an advantage that we don't have. And that God showed him the fruition of the dream. He's going to rise to power. People will bow down to him. God has not shown us the dream. God has not shown us, here's where I'm taking you and here's what's going to happen. But God has given us a promise. God has given each and every one of us a promise that we can bank on and that we can trust in. And I don't know if you've read the promise or memorized the promise, but if you haven't, you need to memorize this. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God is speaking that to the nation of Israel, but we are the new Israel. If you read in the scriptures, you see that the church is the new Israel. The church is the new chosen people of God. And so God says to them, I have plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. And I believe that God would say that to each and every one of us today. I have plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I can't spell it out. I can't give you the details. I can't call it. But I do know that he has a plan for your life. And here's the great and amazing thing. God's plan for your life preceded your plan for your life. God's plan for your life preceded your plan for your life. Before you were ever born, God had a plan for you. Before you were ever thought of by your parents, or not thought of by your parents, God thought of you, and he had a plan for your life. I got scripture to prove it. Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has gone ahead of your life and placed some stuff in a path for you to walk. He has a plan for your life and he's been there before you ever got there. So let me just ask you, what's frustrating you right now? Can I encourage you? You're living the dream? It's part of the dream. What's getting you down right now? I know it's not going the way you think it should, but it's part of the dream. You're living the dream. What? What is it that's holding you back right now that you just need to break through? You're living the dream. 
Whatever the difficulty in your life, whatever the hardship in your life, don't shoot on God about it, but remind yourself I'm living the dream. This is part of the path. I'm walking the plan. And God's plan is to prosper me and not to harm me. I know it doesn't seem good right now, but I'm living the dream. I'm on my way to the palace, but I got to go through the pit to get there. I got to go through Potiphar's house to get there. I got to go through prison to get there. And I don't understand it, God. But it's a good thing I don't understand it. Because your ways are not my ways. And your thoughts are not my thoughts. And so rather than shitting on you, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to focus on what you could do and not what you should do. Because I know I'm living the dream. And this thing that sucks right now in my life is part of the dream. It's part of the dream. It's part of the dream. Hey, I don't know what you're going through right now, but can I just encourage you that it's part of the dream. Don't shoot on God. Don't walk away from God. Don't give up. Don't quit. Because God knows some things you don't know. Heaven has a different perspective. And I just imagine, if you knew what heaven knew, you'd keep going. I don't know if you're in the prison right now, but it's only a few more days till you get out. It's only a few more weeks till you get out. I imagine whatever difficulty you're in right now, whatever it is you're facing right now, you might feel like quitting, you might feel like giving up, you might feel like shooting on God and walking away, but don't, because it's only a matter of time till you walk out. And if heaven were to look down and give you a message, I imagine what they would say is don't quit, don't give up, stand firm, stay strong, because the palace is just in sight. I know it's not going how you think it should, but in the end, in the end, in the end, it'll all come together and you'll see. Don't give up. Don't quit. I want to ask you this morning, as we, as we reflect on all of this, with where you are in your life right now and the things that you've gone through, you've been through some dark times, but you've emerged on the other side. Remember that in whatever it is you're going through now or whatever it is you will go through. I want to ask you two questions just as you process through this because we're not changed by the word that we hear. We're changed by the word that we do. So the question I want to ask you is this. What is God saying to you right now? And what are you going to do about it? Is there any way that you're shooting on God? Is there any way that you're disappointed in God? Is there any way that you feel like giving up? What do you need to do about it? What needs to shift in your perspective? What needs to change in your approach in life? It's time to do it. Because should happens, but it doesn't have to. We're in control. We're in charge. And we can choose to walk that path. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. And um, I hope this is a time of reflection for you. Members from our VIP team are going to come down and they're going to pass out trays amongst the rows. And in the rows are stacks of cups. The bottom cup has some bread in it. 
that's there to remind us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. The top cup has some juice that's there to remind us of his blood that was shed for us. And I want to invite you to take communion as it's passed. And let it be a reminder that God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because, I mean, just think about Jesus' life. He was the Son of God. But he was hung on a cross to pay for our sins. And if Jesus didn't have a proper perspective, I imagine he could have been on the cross shooting on God. God, you should do something. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do I have to go through this? But Jesus knew why. He knew why he was giving up his life. It was so that you and I could have life. He knew what God could do through his sacrifice. And that's redeem us and give us a brand new start. Would you take this time just to reflect on the new start that God wants to give you? Would you take this time just to reflect on the love God has for you as you take communion? Would you pray with me? God, I am so sorry for the ways that I should on you. When I think things should go the way I want them to go, things should operate the way I think they should operate, and I just don't understand why you don't get with my program, God. Forgive me and remind me that you know some stuff I don't and you have a plan and a purpose for my life. So God, let me trust in you. Let me today focus on what you could do and not what you should do. And as we take communion, would you remind us of how great you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.